Please be seated. We are going to start a whole new series today called Prophets and Kings. But before I dive into that, I've got some good news and some good news and some good news to share. So first of all, I found out today that Andrew, I don't know if you know this, but Andrew, our drummer, he has been working most Saturdays and so he can't play every Saturday and he's been trying to get a promotion at work to allow him to be able to have Saturdays off and he got it this week. So yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. He's hiding, he's coming out, but that's really great. It's fantastic, it's really good. I'm really glad. He actually got a, it's a, it's a pilot and they're, they're putting him forward in this particular position, so I'm really glad. Andrew, he's coming out slowly. But you can give him a hug later on and thank him for that. And, and we're glad he's gonna be here, which actually helps us with next Sabbath. What's happening next Sabbath? Oh, see that subtle hint? Good, good. And what is Bara? Yeah, kind of. Good, good idea. Yeah, it is. We're going to have, uh, we're gonna have our, our worship team leading as well. We're going to have numerous other artists, poets, and we're going to come together in the afternoon. So come to church next week, stay for the fellowship lunch, and after the fellowship lunch, come back inside here at 2 o'clock. If you want to get involved, then see Pastor Eli today, today. Then the doors will close, so make sure you're inside there and, and get inside there. But I hope that you'll stay for next Sabbath. It will be a great Sabbath will celebrate what God has created uh, through us as well, and God is the ultimate creator inside this. So the other good news that I want to share with you guys is that we have some leadership, and if you receive our bulletins uh, by email, you'll see that it's been inside there for 10,000 years. And so now we get the privilege to vote Ryan Balliot and uh, where's Matt Soapman, and we get to vote both of these guys as elders. You should have objected, <sighs> but nobody did. So what I need to do now is to accept the nomination which has been come forward from the recommendation from the elders and from the board and from everybody else. And nobody said anything bad about these guys. I don't know why, but they think that they're brilliant leaders and we're really glad they're gonna be joining us as elders. And so if everybody is in favor, would you raise your hand? Look at that, fantastic. And then if anybody still has some qualms about them, oh, one cheeky Christian. All right, all right. That's great, fantastic, carried, super. Um, the last thing that I wanna share with you before we dive into here is that uh, today, unlike any other Sabbath, and because it's a new year, we thought we'd start today, we're gonna be checking everybody in to the Bible study classes. What, that's weird. No, it's not. Safety, security, downstairs, when your kids go downstairs, uh, I'll be at one end of the corridor, Pastor Lyle will be at the other end of the corridor, and we'll just ask for your name, we'll type it on an iPad, check you in, and you can go with your parents. All the adult classes, if you're teaching today, make sure you pick up the iPad for your class and check you in. Now, some people said, whoa, why, why do you need to know if I'm here? Can't I just come to church, slip away, hide? and nobody needs to know that I'm here or not? No, you can't. Welcome, we care about you. We'd like to know when you're here, we'd like to know when you're not, we'd like to make sure that you're doing okay, all right? So if you help us, really easy, it'd be great as well, great for the kids, great security downstairs, helps us with the corridor, please help us. If you go with your kids or help them to line up like Cesar was doing, then that'd be fantastic as well. Now, we're gonna begin. You need a worship guide. Who, has a worship, who doesn't have a worship guide? Put your hand up and Danny, our deacon today, he'll make sure you get one. So we need some worship guides over here. Peter's gonna help as well. Anybody else? 
Keep your hands up for about an hour and they will come your way. All right. They're coming down the side here. Great. We are going to be dealing with this. And you'll see all the passages are inside here, uh, January 3 to February 6. And so we're going to be in the book of Kings all the way through for the next six weeks. I'm really excited about Kings. Fantastic book. Lots of stuff. There are some things that I would hope that you would know. And if you've gone to Bible study classes all your life from little babies all the way through, you'd probably know some of this stuff. But, but it's really important to remember that, that there is a lot of presumptions before you get to Kings that we would hope that you would understand about this. For instance, over this side over here, we would hope that you would know that Moses existed. And Moses was over here, and then the children coming out, they go, and they survive, they have the judges, we have Samuel, we did a whole series on Samuel, you get to the Kings. And the king seems really good, everything's going well, they want to have kings, and then you continue, and all of a sudden, you're over here, and they are in Babylon, and they are in exile, and that is depressing. And this book, Kings 1 and 2, was written to help the children of Israel understand that from Moses, they ended up over here, and they're like, oh my goodness, we're slaves, we're in exile, what happened? Did God leave us? Did we do something wrong? Did he drop us out from this particular place? What is it that we need to do? So the whole book of Kings is here to help you to reevaluate your identity in God. Remember that? To reevaluate your identity in God. And that's actually the first question inside here. Do you recalibrate questions inside your, uh, inside your guide? Question number one on the page as you open it up. What do you need to reevaluate in your life? What do you need to reevaluate in your life? Which is, I thought, very apropos for the beginning of the year because we like to wait until the beginning of the year to decide to think about anything, right? It's like once January 1 comes round, we can now decide something. And I don't know what happened the whole 2015, but apparently you couldn't decide anything until. January 1, 2016. So this is the idea behind it. And they know this, and they get this, and they still want you to be able to reevaluate who you are. Well, the children of Israel are very upset. And uh, if you turn with me in your Bibles, you have Bibles in your pews. If you have your own Bible, we're going to go to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 18, which is page 483. Children of Israel are really upset. And uh, they're in slavery, and this is what they start to say to God in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25. By the way, when we finish with this series here, we've got a few other series that we're going to do until the fall. And in the fall, we're going to start a series on the book of Daniel. And with Daniel, you're going to need Ezekiel, you're going to need Jeremiah, and you're going to need Daniel, because all of those together tie together to what's happening there. So I look forward to that as well. But in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 25, this is what they said. Yet you say... The word, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O Israel, is my way not just? Is not your ways that are not just? God's arguing through Ezekiel with the people of Israel because they're saying, it's not just. They write in the book of Lamentations, oh, it's so miserable. We're stuck here. What happened to the glory that we had before? They say later on in Ezekiel that the pastors, the priests, the prophets, they don't care about us. God, you have abandoned us. And it's in that kind of tension that God says, I don't think you understand the decisions that you made. Because if you understood the decisions you made from the time of Moses until now, 
you would understand why you're in exile. There are consequences and implications to this journey. And he wants them to understand this, so he tells a story with lots of interventions all the way through. When I was, uh, in November, I was over in London, visiting my parents, and uh, I was there the particular week when the British Parliament had to decide whether they were going to go to war, whether they were going to go and, and attack. And so I was listening on the radio, love listening to the radio, and listening on the radio to uh, David Cameron speaking. He's the Prime Minister. And he's, he's got a long speech that he wants to explain why we should go to war. But everybody else, there's a whole group of MPs who are really upset about the idea. And so what he would say to the chairperson, he would say, Mr. Chairman, um, I will entertain an intervention from the right honorable member from Winchester, and then I will continue. So then he turns over, the member from Winchester says, blah, 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 and then he continues, and then people are putting their hands up, he says, Mr. Chairman, I will entertain from Colchester an intervention right now, and then I will continue. And he does this over and over and over again. The Bible in 1 Kings does the same thing. You'll have a story, and all of a sudden, there'll be an intervention. There'll be like a development. So you think the story is about Solomon, and it does talk about Solomon a little bit. It starts off where he's first just the brother of Adonijah, and then later on, he's David's servant, and then later on, he's the son of David, and then later on, he's the King Solomon. But that's not all the story is about. The story has tons of interventions and shifting of places, physical places all the way through. So we're going to start with David. Let's begin there in chapter 1, verse 1. It's in 1 Kings. It's page 192 in your Bibles, 192. So if you turn your Bibles to page 192, that'd be great. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now, King David was old and advanced in years. Notice that he didn't say King David was young and advanced in years. No, he said he was old and advanced in years. In other words, he lacked the strength with his advanced years. Sometimes you can continue to get old, but you still are strong. And what do I mean by strong in this particular case is that he had the ability to have sex. That's how he knew whether he was strong. So, King David was not able anymore to, <clears throat> you know, anymore. So, that was his difficulty. That's why he was old and advanced in years. He did not have the benefit of the multi-million dollar Viagra to be shared around. He had to prove that he was a man by himself. And so what they did, it says here in chapter 1, verse 3, so they sought for a beautiful young woman through all the, throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shimonite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not, because he was old and advanced in years. He still couldn't. The irony in the story is they're all pervasive. You know, when you read about David, you hear that here he is, he sees he's on the top of the palace, he sees Bathsheba, and he takes her. But now, as he's getting old, and he's trying to be able to prove that he's still worthy of being king, he's not able to even the most beautiful girl that they bring to him. Makes you wonder, doesn't it, if this happened thousands of years ago, whether this idea has shaped 
the way that we as men see ourselves today, right? You think about it. For all the kings that we're gonna go through, sexual politics, sexual power, the ability to be able to take whoever you want. I mean, the concubines, that's what King Saul did. He had one concubine. I, I'll show you, I have a wife and I have a concubine. David said, I'll have a wife or two and I'll have 10 concubines. Solomon comes along and says, I'll have 300 concubines because they're constantly trying to prove that they have sexual power. And by their sexual power, they know they're men. So men today struggle with that deeply because they still, from thousands of years coming down, being learned from their grandfather, their grandparents, all the generations back, that to be a man is a man, a man is to be able to have children, is to be able to be a father, to sow your oats wherever you need to be. That's what being a man is really all about. And that was actually pervasive right then, and I think it's still a problem that we face today inside here. So they realize this, the shift takes place now. We were in the palace, we're now moving over to the next part, the intervention, if you like, and this is now in verse five. Now Adonijah, and he is the son of Haggath, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus? So he was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. You see this, David here? David is married to Haggath, and Haggath is, has a son, and his son is Adonijah. Adonijah says, I, like Absalom, who was beautiful, I'm beautiful too, I am gonna become king. And so this is a dilemma, because David hasn't declared it, nobody has, he just got word that Abishag wasn't able to arouse David, therefore he knows that David is done. And if he knows he's done, he's going to declare himself this way. You scroll down in your Bibles to verse 10, and it says there that in verse 10, we'll look at this, you'll notice that he brings in Abathar, and Abathar's a priest, and he brings in Joab, who's the general, who happens to be David's nephew. Okay, so it's very inbred, very connected. It's his nephew. It says here, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaniah, or the mighty man, Solomon, his brother. So Adonijah says, goes over there, declares himself to be king, but he doesn't invite his brother, Solomon, and doesn't invite any of the other people to come to the party, only those who support him directly. Now, here's the tension. We go back to the story, which shift places to chapter 1, verse 11. And before I get to Nathan and Bathsheba talking here, there's often this case here, and we'll show you on both sides right now. And the next one. You have Bathsheba and you have Haggath. Most people think the story is about David and the story is about Solomon and the story is about all the kings. But in the Bible, in the book of Kings, whenever you hear about any king, you'll always hear about the mother, sometimes the father, but always the mother. If you don't hear the mother, you don't hear about the father, but always the mother. Because those queen mothers had tremendous influence and power over the kingdom. It was, in fact, a battle, a rivalry between Bathsheba and Haggith that's taking place right here, not between Adonijah and Solomon, but between the two queen mothers. Who is going to be favored by David? Will he be interested in Abishag, or will he be interested in me, Bathsheba, or myself, Haggith? Who will have the power to have our sons live and become king? 
which of our sons will actually live and the other ones will not live. These are the tensions that are taking place inside the story, inside this. So Nathan knows this, the prophet. It says here in verse 11, then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king and David our Lord does not know it? And she's like, what? He, he did what? The, Haggith did what? She made Adonijah king? What? My son Solomon, that means my life is at risk straight away. And she knows this, and Nathan knows this. So Nathan conjures up a very clever plan, and he has a conversation directly with Bathsheba, and he says to her, look, this is what you need to do. I need you to listen to some counsel from me, and I want you to take this well, because this is going to shape your entire future, which is question number two inside your worship guide. It's a difficult question, and if you look at there, you'll see what it says. How do you handle counsel, advice, suggestions, and criticism? As you're planning 2016, as you're planning your life, as you think about your days, as you think about your marriages, as you think about your homes and your work, how do you handle all that stuff? How does Bathsheba handle the fact that somebody's coming to her and saying, hey, you have not been paying attention Adonijah has become king. You're about to get killed. You need to step your game up. So he says to her, I want you to go in there and ask King David a question, whether he knows this even. And once you're done with that, I will come in, act surprised, see you and say, oh, David, have you heard the same thing? And together, we'll get around him, kind of like what they did with Hushnai in, Sam, in First and Second Samuel as well. So they're planning this entire operation to go forth. She thinks to herself, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the counsel, I'm going to go do this. And this is what it says in verse 15. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was attending to the king. And Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said to her, what is your desire? Do you imagine the pride that she had to swallow to come inside there and see another woman lying next to the king? Another woman taking care of the king. When he had sworn all those years ago that she was the one, and that he had even said to her that her son would become king, that she was the special one. Well, she did have access to David, Unlike Haggith, who didn't have access, Bathsheba had access, but still, here she is now looking at this, and she swallows all her pride, and she says, despite the thousands of years of distrust that has been created by men in their relationships with their wives, I will press on right now. Which is the problem we have today as well, right? You look at couples, they sit down, and, and people will say, I just wonder, whether I can trust you. And the guys will often say to, to their partners and say, well, but I, of course you can trust me. Or where does that come from? Well, it comes from thousands of years of the girls learning from their mothers and from their grandparents and from everybody else that distrust is broken down all the time. And so trust becomes a big issue over and over and over again. And here we see this, that she knows that she's being betrayed here, but she still presses on. She says to him, in fact, she makes a statement. She changes the counsel of Nathan, makes a statement and says, listen, Adonijah's king. It's not a question, he's king. And you promised, you promised that my son would be king. What are you gonna do? So she escalates it and she says to him, be a man. David, be a man, stand up and do the right thing. 
while David's thinking about this, verse 22, you'll notice that Nathan now moves in and he starts to talk to David and he comes in and says, Nathan the prophet came in and said, oh, I I didn't know you were here. (laughs) What a surprise. King David, have you heard? Adonijah, he's become king. And you know what? Let me tell you who was there with him and let me tell you who was not with him. So he now explains to them, and he, let's go to the next picture. He now explains, look, these are the people, Benaniah, Zadok, 30 warriors, Shemeh, and Nathan. These are the ones who actually have been very faithful to you, David. They didn't go. Oh, but Joab, oh, mine, and Abithar, the priest, he went and they supported Adonijah to become king. And David is really upset about this. Verse 28 says here, then David answered and he called together a coronation and with this coronation, it was a grand event. They had everybody come along and the next few verses in the story, you can imagine all the wealth, all the glory, everything is poured out to them. By the time you get to verse 40 in chapter uh, one down here, it says this, and all the people went up after him, playing on pipes, rejoicing with a great joy. So the earth was split by their noise. Can you imagine that? And then, verse 41, a switch and a shift of places. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And Joab heard the sound of the trumpet. And he said, what does this uproar in the city mean? Can you believe that? What's going on here? And he sees this taking place because the three over there with all of their party hear the huge party that's taking place on Bathsheba's side. They hear this and say, what's going on? And Abithar has a son called Jonathan who comes over to them and says, by the way, they just anointed and declared that King Solomon is the king, that your young brother, Bathsheba's son, is the king. Adonijah, it's over. It's terrible. So it's just, it's tragic for them. They don't even know how to handle this. Verse 49 says this, that all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose and each went his own way, absolutely petrified by this. Adonijah himself, he was so scared that he runs to the temple and he grabs hold of the altar and he hangs onto the horns of the altar and says, I will not let go. You can't kill me here. I'm safe right here. Solomon hears about this sends Benaniah, his general, and says, go, go get me Adonijah. And uh, Adonijah's like, you're gonna kill me. And he says, I'm not gonna kill you. you just, you gotta come out of the temple. This is, this is inappropriate, you're looking ridiculous. So he comes out and he says, you're banished, go to your home, stay in your home inside there. This is where David sets it up. And this is where God blesses what David has set up. But now this is where the military protects it. And the children of Israel, when they're over here, wondering where is God in their life, need to remember that when God blesses something, it's not because he thought it was the best choice or the best decision in the entire universe, but it's the best at that time. What if, what if Adonijah had become king? He was more conservative, he stayed faithful to the covenant, What if he had become king? Would the children of Israel have been in exile? What if, as it had happened, Solomon, who was more progressive and more interested in alliances and building a great empire, became king? Is that the reason why they ended up in exile? He was the great king after all. I think that people like to blame God for everything that goes wrong in life. 
2015 may have been a really hard year for you. 2016 may be a hard, harder year for you. But we do tend to turn to God and blame him when things go wrong. And we ask and we question. And God's saying, there are consequences and implications to all the choices you make. And I give you counsel and I give you wisdom and I give you community so you can connect with each other. But sometimes you just don't listen and you do your own path. And they did their own path here. Now, in epic style, chapter two of this story here, David, kind of like a godfather moment, he pulls him over and he says, let me talk to you, whispers to him. And you can imagine Solomon coming along to the bed and there's a pussy cat there and he's like, he's weighing the cats and he's like, I'm gonna tell you something, my son. And he's telling him, I want you to understand who you are. You are a man, but you're a man who must follow God. You have to stay faithful to God, to all the commands that God has given. Stay faithful to God and it will be well with you and your children if, if you are faithful to God. He says to him, that's important and that's fantastic. And then he says to him, and now my son, I have three people I wanna mention to you. And, he, and, and in his suggestions, he mentions Joab and says to him, you know Joab, he's a good guy. He's a general, he's done a few assassins for me, like Uriah, you know, your mum's ex-husband. He killed her, him, you know, it's fine. But he also did some things that he shouldn't have done, like kill your brother Absalom and, and a few other bloodthirsty things that I'm not very happy about. So I promised him that he would live, but I'm no longer king. You know what to do, take care of him. So I was like, I got it, I got it, I'll take care of him. Then he says to him, what about uh, uh, Barazali? Now Barazali, man, when I was being hunted down and chased down and Absalom had taken over the kingdom, I needed to run to some safety. This guy's a very wealthy person. He had a lot of land. He looked after me the whole time. He is a great alliance. You know what to do. Take care of him. So Solomon's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be good with him. And then he says, now Shimei. Shimei was a, a rather interesting character. When I was running away and trying to survive, he took stones and started throwing it at me. And he was calling me all sorts of names. And remember that his ancestors are King Saul, the northern kingdom. So you know what to do. Take care of him. End his life, throw him in a lake, do what you need to do. So he gets some counsel. It's from pretty interesting counsel. And then the Bible just records very quickly, two verses, David passes away. Verse 13 now of chapter two. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. This is a, a, a great little innuendo here. I mean, it's, it's very subtle because Adonijah comes along and he says, Bathsheba, you know, your son is the king. I should have been king, but, but it's okay. I just mentioned it. I don't mean anything by it. You know, uh, I was wondering if you could ask him a favor. I'm not gonna go to the king because that would be really beneath me, but, but, but you, you, you have the ear of the king. You know, why don't you do that? And so he go, she says to him, I want you to go and ask for Abishag. You know that, that really beautiful girl that nobody's had? I want her to be one of my concubines. Bathsheba, you can imagine her rolling her eyes and her hair just thinking, oh my goodness, you're gonna die. <laughs> You really want this? Sure, I'll go ask. So she goes over to Bathsheba, she goes over to Solomon, 
Solomon, of course, is really glad to see his mom. He gives her a seat by the side. He's very gracious to his mom. And he says, well, you know, your brother, Adonijah, he, he's just lonely. He's cold. It's winter. And wondering if he could have Abishag. You know, I mean, you don't want her. And Solomon, wise as ever, flies off the handle and says, what? Abishag? What, what, what next? Does he want the kingdom? And why does he react so heavily? Well, because you know, if you'd remember the stories, that when King David was pushed away from his, from his place and Absalom took over the kingdom, what's the first thing that Absalom did? He took all of David's concubines on the rooftop and he slept with them. In other words, to show that he had sexual power over the kingdom. So he was insinuating right now, well, let me take Abishag, your concubine, I'll have her because I can have sexual power. I can have the sexual politics. And so Solomon is really upset about this, and he sends Benaniah, who is fast becoming Joab. Did you see this? Joab was the black ops general, did all the terrible missions. Benaniah, he sends Benaniah, go down, get Adonijah, and kill him. Well, he kills him, and Adonijah's gone. Abathar, the priest, is like, I supported the wrong party. This is not good. The wrong presidential candidate. I don't know if I can survive this. And so he starts to fear for his life. Solomon gets hold of him as well. He puts him, banishes him away. And then Joab hears that Adonijah's dead, that Abathar, the priest, is in hiding and banished away. And he fears for his life as he should. So he does the same thing that Adonijah does. He runs to the temple, grabs hold of the altar, holds onto it and says, you can't touch me. <laughs> this is a safe place. And Solomon sends Benaniah over and says to him, I want you to go over there and I want you to deal with Joab. So he goes to see Joab and Joab's holding on and says, you can't touch me. I'm in, I'm in the temple. I'm, I'm in the safe place. So Benaniah sends a message back to Solomon and says, well, uh, you know, I don't mind killing him, but, but really, he, he's in kind of like a, a no-go zone. And Solomon says, well, he's sinned against us and against God. He's done all sorts of atrocities. He needs to be judged. So Benoni goes in, grabs him, and deals with Job, and Job is gone. In verse 35, the king put Benaniah, the son of Jedidiah, over the army in place of Job, and the king put Zadok the priest in place of Abathar. Abathar's gone. He's hidden away, and Zadok becomes priest. Joab, head of the black ops, CIA, MI6, everything you can imagine, black list of everything. He's gone, and Benaniah is now the assassin for King Solomon. And Adonijah, the king, brother, the older one, is gone, and Solomon is there, and the power is established. It says down in verse 46, then the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jedidiah, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. The children of Israel are begging God, saying, I don't understand what happened with my life. I don't understand why I'm over here. We had this great thing, and it's over here, and I just don't get it. And God keeps on saying, look at the choices that all your leaders and you as a people have made. I begged you with Moses to never have a king, to stay faithful to me, but you got tired of it and you said, no, we wanna be progressive. We wanna be like other churches. 
like other kingdoms, like other places, like other people. We want to be just like them. And if we could be just like them, then we'll know that we are the right people. And we want to change all the time in this particular direction. And God is saying, is this healthy? Is there a theology behind this? Because I told you, stay connected with me. Look what happens in chapter 3 here. Solomon, very first thing that he does, he makes an alliance and he marries Pharaoh's daughter. That's the very first thing that he does. He marries Pharaoh's daughter. Now, if you remember the stories, they don't mention Pharaoh by name on purpose. If you read the stories in Exodus, they don't mention the Pharaoh there on purpose because Egypt and Pharaohs were considered the enemy of the people of Israel. And so what does Solomon do? He opens up his arms and says, I love the enemy, but now they're family, and we are now together. And he marries them. He compromises who he is. In fact, when we get on later on the story, you're going to see that he is really influenced heavily by Egypt and by all the others that he happens to be there as well. Now, he does go and worship. It says here that he goes and worships at the high places. And at this point in the story, that's okay. Later on, it gets a little bit rougher inside there. But he is compromising, and he has been seduced right now. And then he has a dream, a vision with God. And God says to him, what is it that you want? And here is the wisdom that he had and the ability to say, God, I don't know what it's like to be a king truly. I'm trying, but what I need is wisdom, more than wealth, more than everything else. And God says to him, well, I'm going to make you wise. I'm going to give you all the wisdom you could ever imagine. You will be super wise. And on top of that, I'm going to give you all the riches and all the abundance and beauty as well. But we are given tons of gifts from God all the time. And you can use a gift from God in a good way or in a bad way. We have life. We are breathing. We woke up this morning with our aches and our pains. We stretched our bodies out or we survived our kids and we came to church. And with them and with our community, we are breathing and we're alive. And yet God says, with that life, with that breath, you could do something good or you could do something bad. You have wisdom, Solomon. You could do something good, or you could do something bad. This little act that he does here is the only story that's really recorded of the great wisdom that he had when the two prostitutes come forward and they say, here's the baby, and you know the great story, and, and he says, what shall I do? And he grabs a sword. You remember the story? He grabs a sword, and he holds a sword over, and he threatens to kill the baby, to cut it in half, to discover who was the true mother, who was truly connected with it. It's interesting that he grabs a sword because he didn't have to grab a sword. He could have said something, but he's using his wisdom and his power in a really interesting way as well because you're going to watch as the story develops over the next few weeks and we start to see what happens here. Solomon, Solomon is over here and he says, he looks at Egypt and he looks at the world and he says, I want to build a great temple. I want to build great edifices and he enslaves people. And he becomes the greatest, the wisest and the greatest, but yet the most manipulative king of all the kings that you could ever imagine. Because he's seduced by all the wives and all the influences because he cannot stay faithful to God in his journey. He starts off beautiful, but you watch how the journey will go. Because God is saying, I gave you choices, and I gave you wisdom, and I gave you the ability to see. 
but I need you to be able to grab hold of that and use it in the right way. We have a challenge before us today, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to be able to do this. And that's why I needed you to have your worship guides with you. The question here is, says, what are you asking God this year is a really good question. The question that if you want, you're welcome to just take off the connection card here. You can write it, keep it for yourself. If you want us to pray for what you think God is laying for you, then lay it inside the little bucket there or put it in one of the offering plates when we collect the offering later on and you're welcome to do that as well. But, but what is it that you're asking God to help you with? When was the last time you truly talked to God? That's what I'm asking to do now. I'm gonna give you some time to be able to do that because it's a really important thing to do. We, we forget so easily. Last week when I was teaching the spot and, and juniors together, I said to the kids and we went through this moment where we, we prayed together and I said to them, what I want you to do every day from Sunday to the next day until Sabbath today as well is to actually in the morning, maybe even before you get out of bed. I said to them, when I was a child, I used to go see my dad early in the morning and he would always be kneeling down by his bed every day without fail. And he'd kneel for a long time and he'd talk to God. And I don't know, I, I don't think I've ever told him this, but I know that he watches, so I know he'll hear this at some point, but it was an inspiration to me. I loved it that my dad started his day off with prayer every single day. It was beautiful. Today, we, we're a little bit uncomfortable with kneeling down, some of us. And so what I said to the kids is this, before you even get out of bed, while you're lying down in bed, just with your eyes closed, put a picture in your head of God. God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Son. Put a picture in there of your God and then talk to Him and let Him talk back to you and hear His voice. Before life takes over everything that you've got, before you set your goals and your dreams and your visions for the day, not for the year, for the day, start with God. So we have this privilege. We come to church all the time and we get this privilege right now and I'm gonna take the time with you. And I want you to just spend a few minutes, close your eyes so you can avoid all the distractions that are going on. Close your eyes. Think about a Bible text, your favorite verse. Think about an image, a picture of who God is. And when you listen, let God talk to you and maybe say to God what is it that's in your heart as well. And after we finish with a few minutes of that, you can write it down, you can hand it in, we'll pray and Allah will lead us to the final song.
Heavenly Father, you know what's in our heart. You know what we struggle with every single day. You know that sometimes we can't talk to each other. Can't talk to the people that are closest to us. We'll look into the eyes of our loved ones and our hearts ache. We go to work and we struggle with value. We struggle being understood. We don't know how we're going to make the bills meet this month. We want our kids to grow up beautiful and strong and, and believing in you. Some of us have kids that are not even close to you and we ask God that, oh, you hold them close. Some of us just need our homes to be healed. Some of us need our communities to be held together. Some of us are facing cancer and all sorts of other diseases that we just don't know what to do. We have small prayer circles, but yet, God, we're grappling hard. Future is hard because we don't know it. Would love to be able to understand it. But we have this hope. And we hold on to this hope that as you have led us through the past, you will hold us today. God, give us the strength. Give us the clarity. Give us the courage to open your word, to hear your voice, to know that it's not fake, but that it's real. And that with the clear voice of the Holy Spirit, may our lives be turned inside out. May our priorities be moved all to just one priority to know you. But by knowing you, may we be the people that you've called us to be. So that we may not be in a place of exile, but in a place of restoration. Looking forward to the second coming and knowing that this year and the next and whatever long you take is going to be okay. We ask this in Jesus' most beautiful, precious name. That is tender. May Jesus bless you with strength against all principalities. May Jesus bless you with compassion and care. May Jesus bless you with courage, daring to be who you are. May Jesus bless you with openness, understanding, and respect. May Jesus bless you with the power to make Jesus all.